Welcome to the Business in Sports Discourse. I'm here with my co-host, Jason Macaluso. Jay, I'm so excited to talk to you today because we're going to talk about the organizations that are organized around different groups of athletes within particular sports. You know, we want to talk about the Professional Fitness Athletes Association. Did I get that right? The PFAA? Um, yeah, PFAA. Which, which, yeah, which popped up two weeks ago. Uh, the Professional Fitness Athletes Association. Also, one popped. Another one popped up today, Jay. Right before we we're going to hop on this threw podcast, it on there, like all of a sudden, hey, right. <laughs> the Athletics Association, uh, for a unified voice for professional track and field athletes worldwide. Another one that we even talked on a previous podcast, the PTO. This is something that pops up all the time. So before we get into, into specifics, why are these organizations, you know, something that we would want to cover in this podcast? Yeah, I think that's right in our wheelhouse. You and I being endurance athletes, the the three you just mentioned, uh, the first one has to do with CrossFit, the second one has to do with track and field, and the and the third one has to do with triathlon. So all endurance sports that you and I focus on immensely with this podcast, uh, not baseball, not football, which already have their own unions and leagues and their own issues. So by us focusing on these, it's right in our wheelhouse. And again, this has been a long time coming for all these sports if they want to be truly recognized on the professional level as the other sports that are out there. Yeah, and we talk about this being the, the in, basically the, the intersection between business and sports, and that's exactly what these organizations are, right? This is you know taking the athletes and then unifying them in some sort of way. Some of them are unions and some of them are just, you know, organizations that aren't quite unionized and figuring out a way of making sure that they can approach the business of sports in a way that benefits them positively as a whole. So before we dive into that, let's just talk about first, let's go in chronological, chronological order with the, with the last two that we just talked about. First of all, let's talk about the PFAA. Again, I, this one gets me every single time. The <laughs> Professional Fitness Athletes Association. This is for CrossFit. Let's just talk about the name for a second. They didn't say CrossFit in the name. They're talking about professional fitness athletes. When you first saw the name itself and saw that it didn't necessarily align with its current membership, was that a dead giveaway of where they want to take this? Well, I, I had to dive in deeper because I th I was like, wait, is this all, you know, fitness, endurance athletes? I, I really thought it had to do with, you know, running as well, but clearly I was wrong. Um, but it was born out of the CrossFit changes that have happened over the past couple of months, it seems like, that the problems that CrossFit has gone through. And I guess they just don't want to be specific to CrossFit because then you pigeonhole yourself, right? Like these athletes are competing in other events. So if it's, if it's a non-CrossFit event, I don't think they want to be stuck in just a CrossFit type scenario, especially with the negative PR CrossFit has had the past couple of months. Right. So this is after Greg Gleason, the former CEO of CrossFit, said some horrible things surrounding George Floyd's murder. And then other accusations come out about sexual harassment. And then um, uh, Castro gets named the almost basically the interim CEO. Uh, then Rosa buys CrossFit and then you know becomes the CEO. So there's been quite a bit of turnover over there. But I think part of this is just what is CrossFit? in terms of its relationship to its professional, you know, and I say that kind of in quotes, because some of them are true professionals and some of them, you know, are kind of semi-professionals like you see in the running world, in the triathlon world oftentimes, and just the general people who happen to work out in a CrossFit gym. So 
the CrossFit, the organization, owns the CrossFit Games. And then there are affiliate CrossFit gyms that pay dues to the organization and things like that. Obviously, if you're doing a watch, the workout of the day that the CrossFit might promote, like you don't need to be aligned with CrossFit to do that, right? Like these workouts are just workouts. However, being part of the CrossFit universe means that your gym is paying dues. Maybe you're being part of the CrossFit Games. And that's where this organization comes in. It's the, you know, the top 60, 65 athletes in the sport, plus some other dignitaries that are part of this group. And for them, it's about not the daily workouts. It's about the competitions that are around these kinds of workouts, which brings, to your, brings it to your point. Like if you just call it CrossFit, well, CrossFit is just like it's a proxy for these, you know, these hit workouts that could be under any group or organization. Um, and it's not necessarily tied to that, that, that organization if they didn't want to be, or if they wanted to branch out on their own. Yeah. And I think they don't want to pigeonhole themselves into just being CrossFit because as we're seeing now in this rapidly changing endurance world, that there's companies that are, you know, moving forward and trying to do different things. So, you know, what if, you know, Reebok stopped their or uh, their affiliation with CrossFit? So what's stopping Reebok from, you know, just taking their capital and starting an entire CrossFit type organization that some of these athletes like, hey, they're paying a little bit more than I can make on the CrossFit side. And to your point, CrossFit's just a name. It's not the actual workout. Yeah. So, but they talked about in their, basically in their press release is talking about like, all right, making sure that safety is, you know, of the big, the huge concern for them, uh, talking about the kinds of competitions that they have. You know, the thing with these, these CrossFit competitions, part of the things that makes them exciting is that you don't necessarily know what workouts you're going to do until the day of the event. There's such a wide array of things, right? Like, doing a mile run can be an right. exercise or it can be a competition within the CrossFit games. Like that's not yep. inherent to CrossFit. Like they pick anything. They be, Their whole mantra is trying to find the best athletes in the world. So they get a whole bunch of things that they can throw at them. And part of their unionization strategy is like, all right, making sure that they're throwing out things that are widespread and not tailored to specific athletes because it'd yeah. be, you know, it's so easy for this sort of thing to be corrupt. If like, you don't know the activities ahead of time. And they just throw them out there be like, oh, how interesting that these <laughs> are so well tailored to these few right. athletes and not these other athletes. Again, not saying there is corruption there, but it's easy to infer certain things, especially if you're, if you're positively predisposed to doing that and just, and just the calendar itself. And this is so interesting when you have this sort of, you know, with CrossFit being the kind of the landmark organization, a private organization as well within this structure and they have this whole bunch of athletes that work underneath it in this uh, individualistic way. It reminds me a lot of, um, you know, we talk about the MMA model, yep. right? So you have Dana White controlling everything, literally telling people when and where to fight and just having a complete dominion over everything that's going on. And it's so easy to see, you know, someone who could potentially do that within CrossFit. And it's why when you said it's about time they got they got this done, you know, I'm sure they look over, you know, MMA and say, like, we don't necessarily want to be that in terms of our athlete freedom, but we do want to have that exponential growth. And MMA is actually, I just realized they don't have a union. So to your point, their athletes are kind of on their own to, at the beck and call of whatever the organization tells them to do with no support similar to, you know, I guess CrossFit is noticing that they don't want to go down that route. And, you know, these, these sports have to pick 
a similar sport, right? When we, when I had Cody Beals on a couple of last week, you know, he compared triathlon to tennis and we'll get into that in a second, but you know, CrossFit definitely similar to MMA, similar to Spartan. You can't compare yourselves to baseball or football because those are league run. Those are uh, team owned. So these, I give the kudos to these organizations for saying, look, this is who we are and this is who we are not. Right, because when you have the when you have the team set up, they're almost kind of like an intermediary yeah. between the the ownership or the powers that be and the athletes. Because if you're a team, obviously you you kind of have the the needs of both in mind. Yep. You know, from from an athlete's perspective, if you're a team, especially now with free agency and the athlete empowerment era, if you do wrong by your players, like they're going to hold you to account. And it's, it's it's not a great business model. So when you have these other sports that don't have a team structure, which is literally just the organization and then a bunch of athletes who are competitors, like they're they're the antithesis of being on a team. Like these are straight up competitors. They might train together occasionally. They might have some um, share coaching and things along those lines. So it becomes this awkward dance when you have competitors coming together in an organization like this, because then you also have, and I think this is what will also be a major sticking point potentially with the track and field uh, athletics association is what do you do about doping? Because this is the elephant in the room, because if you're going to have collective bargaining, that means there's probably people who are helping to negotiate that collective bargaining agreement who are incentivized to allow for some level of of um, lax doping. Yeah, you know, you it, just can't assume that everyone at the negotiating table is on the same page with something like that because you know this isn't going away. Doping is not going away, and it's such an intense part of this sport or these sports. And for the anti-doping crowd, it's making sure that when you come together as a group like this, how do you ensure? That that's the part that that's the message that comes across in these negotiations, and doesn't get hijacked by uh, a cadre of your organization that isn't necessarily aligned with the the anti doping crowd. Yeah, and ba- I mean baseball went through that in the '90s um, with McGuire, Sosa, Bonds era. I mean there was no I mean, doping was pretty much legal, uh, and even now to this day they have issues on what they. On, on what doping is and isn't. And to your point, and in these endurance sports, you know, it's definitely at the forefront. We saw that with cycling. Um, it's definitely popped up in other sports, track and field, obviously. So another great point that they need to come to the table. But at the end of the day, as com- even though they are all competitors, uh, you have to think they want the exact same thing for their sport. The problem is a lot of these sports are pretty top-heavy. And you have a very pointy end of the of the sphere on these sports, especially in the endurance world. Um, so it's interesting. I thought with this CrossFit one or the whatever the, the fitness organization is, they're actually bringing in individuals you mentioned at the beginning that are not professional yet. So it seems like they're trying to either bring in up and comers or more people to bring to the table to get a more well rounded view than just having the top you know two percent or five percent run the whole organization. That's a good point. At the same time, when you talk about the CrossFit Games or the Diamond League or World Athletics, you know, you're really only talking about the top, the tip of the spear yeah. from, from the top of the athlete's perspective. So it doesn't even, you know, so those competitions aren't even relatable to the professional, like the, the basically the sub-elite runners. 
right? Like they're, they're never going to be at those events. So in terms of having representation within your group, it might be important to have it so you can build a pipeline. But in terms of the short term, like what are we doing about the 2021 World Championships? It's not necessarily applicable. However, what I like about what the world, what the Athletes Association is doing for track and field is that they have basically a, man, a male and female rep for all of their subcategories within their um within their board of trustees, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so for, they have it regionalized. So they have, all right, so for Europe, for Asia, for the Americas, things like that, of a male and a female rep. And they have it within each, within discipline. So they group them. So like in the endurance slash walk discipline, they'll have a male and female rep. They'll have same thing for um, multi-sport, like the decathlon, things like that. So, you know, jumps the same thing. So they have a pretty broad range. Uh, it's an extremely diverse group of people, not only in terms of skin color, but experiences, as well as um, geographically. So it's really interesting to see how they put it together. It's obviously, it's obviously they put a lot of thought into it. However, it's not a union. So really right. what they have to do is they have to continue to market themselves not only to the powers that be within their sport so that they have a voice at the table, but they also have to market themselves to the athletes so that those athletes view them as a legitimate voice for their concerns. So it sounds like it's similar to the PTO that Cody talked about, Professional Triathletes Organization, which is not a union, but just an opportunity to bring these the professional endurance athletes together. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. So there's what there's pros and cons of a union. And, you know, I've never been involved in a union and we could argue that all day. But, you know, I think what these organizations are trying to do is just bring in more uh, more voices, especially in these endurance sports. And I think they need just the problem why these things have tended to fall apart in the path in the past is what you said is it's really a pointy, you know, end of the sphere that not all these athletes are going to get invited to um, all the events. So what about the representation at the lower level? I think the easy thing with CrossFit is only 60 athletes, right? There's only 60 professional athletes plus a couple more, but track and field is huge. There has to be thousands of athletes, Um, triathlon, hundreds of professional athletes. So it's just, they're just bigger animals. And I'm curious as to how they're going to navigate so many people. Right. Also, it's an international sport, yeah, whereas yeah. CrossFit is not. Yeah. Um, you know, in the again, I should. CrossFit is absolutely international, but there's it's much more pocket. There's, there's pockets of it. Yeah, there's only sixty. Right? Uh, according to the article, there's only sixty professional CrossFit athletes. Oh, okay. I, I thought those just are sixty people within their organization in terms oh, of like PFAA. Okay. But you know, like Australia does does really well. Um, you know, America is you know the, the foremost proponent of it um, with track and field. Like, all right, so who who exactly is organizing here? Because they say worldwide, and they have representation worldwide. With that being said, there are definitely pockets. In addition, you have other components. So when you have like the World Championships, you're competing for a country. Mm-hmm. Olympics, you're competing for a country. So who do you really report to here? From a allegiance standpoint, right? Like there's articles that came out around the London Olympics, right? Just this past week with like potentially state sponsored doping. And it's like, all right, like say you're a British athlete and you get a pro again. I don't know if that, I'm not going to say act as if that's true, but let's just assume that it is. 
okay? Just for the sake of this argument, right? So you're a British athlete, you get approached, like, all right, you want to compete for us, this is part of the deal. Where's your allegiance? Yeah. Right? Is it with the with the Athletes Association that maybe you're even a board member of? Or is it with your home country who's now hosting the Olympics right. and you want to compete with them and they're giving you away, basically, tr- basically allowing you as they're, as they're marketing it to you, saying you're not going to get caught. Here's what we're doing. You're not the only one. Don't get left behind. Tons and tons of peer pressure to the point where if you don't sign on, you're basically viewed as an outcast. Um, it becomes really sticky. And this is the part of the thing when you have this sort of thing where you, when you have these regionalized affiliations at the biggest meets within the sport, Olympics and world championships are the crux of the sport. And when you try to make a worldwide organization, all of a sudden you're going to be at loggerheads with so many people about who exactly is in charge here. Who do I report to? And where is my personal allegiance? That's a tremendous point with track and field, because um, it also carries over into triathlon, especially with the PTO, because the PTO is completely separate from Ironman, right? So here's this organization that's being formed to bring in all the professional triathletes who are Ironman, you know, Ironman men and women uh, triathletes. So it's almost like they're setting up a separate league so similar to your conversation or your point about where is your allegiance? Is it to the union and to your country based on the Olympics? PTO is doing the same thing where they're bringing in this organization that they literally tried to buy out Ironman. So there's just these so many sticking points. And I think this is one of the negatives you and I were talking about offline is at what point does your allegiance have to shine through and pick and pick a side? Yeah, and that they won't always be. And that thing is, it's not always going to be as simple as like good guys, bad guys, which makes right. it hard. I'm not saying right. one's good or bad, but right. And then you know, that that that's where it's going to be tricky, right? Because you'll have certain organizations or groups where you know you're going to be in a situation where it's like just say, look at look at what happened with Nike with Alberto Salazar, right? Right, like so Nike is involved with what's going on with him. Alberto is training athletes from a bunch of different countries. Okay, they have their their allegiance is to their employer, potentially, who's paying their salary, but also their salary has escalator clauses that are connected to how well you do in specific meets. Oftentimes, those meets are world championships and Olympics, So, so which you get on those teams by competing well and representing your country. This is before the AA came out. So all of a sudden, it's like, okay, there's a lot of people here who have. Inf- you know, potentially overwhelming influence over yeah. the athletes. Agreed. And disappointing them, especially if you're not at the top, top of your field, can have dangerous circumstances. And even if you are, it can be a really rough road. Look at Carrie Goucher. Yeah. She's, she's at the top of her, was at the top of her field by any measure. And it was tough for her when, you know, she, when she started to talk to the law Republica and you know, pro Republica and, get the word out about what her experiences were. She's a titan within the sport and it was hard for her, which again points to why these sorts of organizations are important. But at the same time, they don't have power over these organizations. No, the, 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 the companies and the um, IOC and things like that. So all they have is potential PR and sway within the athletes of saying, Hey, 
we're going to act as a, a group to combat your poor decisions or whatever. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, good luck to them, but it's, you know, it's not as simple as like, Hey, we finally put out our Instagram handle and, and we right. put out our press release <laughs> and now we're good to go. You know, this, this is going to be a constant lobbying effort going upwards towards the people who run the sport and down within their, the rank and file of the organization or within the sport to make sure that you're getting support and feel like people trust you in both directions or the whole thing is just going to fall apart. Yeah. And it is wrap this up. I want to say one more thing. I think going on your point is that all these, the bulk of these athletes getting into these endurance sports we're talking about are not getting into it for the money. You know, they're not getting into it to sign some lucrative contract. They're getting into it because they love the sport and they love what they do and they love the competition. So there needs to be some unifying effort on the money side, because to your point, they will get swayed and, you know, towards organizations that are actually going to incentivize them to do different things. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, go tell someone about it, right? Don't worry about ratings and reviews. What we want you to do is go out, tell some friends that you like it. If that means sharing it on social media, on LinkedIn, or just giving someone a quick text, we certainly appreciate it. Have a wonderful day and happy running.